Welcome to Being Human. I'm your host, Richard Atherton. Alex Goldfain, CEO of the seven-figure solo consulting practice Evangelist Marketing Institute and author of two highly successful sales book, the revenue books, The Revenue Growth Habit and Selling Boldly. Welcome. Richard, how are you? Thanks for having me. No, thank you. And I know you've got up early for this uh, podcast, so especially great. Yeah, so let's start with your latest book, uh, Selling Boldly. And I'll read the strap line, which I think will get us into it. So the strap line is how to apply the new science of positive psychology to dramatically increase your confidence, happiness, and sales. So maybe start there with a summary of what we mean by positive psychology and, and how we can apply some of the discoveries there. Well, positive psychology is the study of what makes us happy and successful, as opposed to the rest of psychology, which is the study of what makes us screwed up and um, anxious or depressed or, um, you know, worse, um, psychoses and things like that. So uh, in sales, because fear is the thing that rules us, fear is the thing that keeps us from picking up the phone and from asking for the business and from offering our customers other products and services, even though they would like to buy them from us, even though we would like to sell it to them, even though we'd be happy with the money. Um, and so since fear governs our behavior as salespeople, uh, I felt that positive psychology, which is about confidence, optimism, uh, positivity, gratitude, boldness, uh, it was kind of all those things are kind of the opposite of fear, you know, and uh, so that's it's about using those things to overcome the fear that we all feel in sales to sell a lot more quickly, which is what I do for clients. Right. And and you started out there, you, you were a psychology major, is that right? And then you you quit. So you've got some history with psychology. First coffee of the day, early morning. Um, yeah, I studied psychology. I was a pre-med psychology major in college. I went on to a doctoral program in psychology, which I quit promptly after one year. Uh, that wasn't for me. I'm just talking about that at dinner last night uh, with some friends that um, I wasn't like the rest of the people that were in that program. <laughs> so How are um, you different? Oh, man. Uh, well, I was, I was about half the average age to begin with because I went right after undergrad, right? So I was 21. And... There were a lot of people there in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s in psychology because it was a clinical psychology doctoral program. And psychology, now, no offense to anybody watching in psychology, but psychology tends to attract people who are dealing with their own issues, right? And they're trying to resolve them. And I was surrounded by this in this program. And it was, it's just not, I, I wanted to learn a profession and I ended up kind of watching people try to resolve their own issues themselves, you know, and it, it wasn't, it was for me. Plus I wanted to make some money in the world. Um, and psychology isn't the way as it turns out. Um, so, so that was that. So I started my first business. I've never had a job uh, in, in my career. I've always been in business and I started my first business in that program in the middle of that year. Okay. And what were you selling? Just computer training. Okay. I was teaching moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas how to use Microsoft Office and email and things. And I guess the, so you presumably that's where you got your your start selling. You needed to sell those those trainings. 
Um, so, so those I would go around to our train stations here in the suburbs of Chicago and put up little signs on the bulletin board. So I, I, I marketed a bit there, but um, I've always had different different companies, different consulting companies. Um, and so I learned really through the years, right? Overnight success and 20 years in the making. Right. Okay. And so, okay, so, so positive psychology is about, you know, the opposite of, let's say, you know, looking at um, our problems and, and why the way we might have fears and so on and, and really focusing on um, some of the things that make us happy. So what, what, are the, what are the key components of that that you bring, you bring out in the book and that you, you teach to people? So the first one is, um, well, there's quite a few, but again, they all deal with, with this issue of fear in sales, right? Fear costs us an awful lot of money. Um, there's a lot of things that we could do and sell and help our customers more with that we don't because of fear. And so the way to overcome fear is to look at um, the fact that it exists and the fact that we have it, and then to identify what will happen uh, if this fear comes true, because fear is the reason we don't do these things. So if this customer tells me no, for this product, what will happen to me then? And so we won't die where we stand, right? If you tell me you don't want this extra thing of mine, I'm not going to immediately die. I will live. Um, but in our heads, it happens so quickly and automatically that that's actually a possibility. Even though it's subconscious, it's actually a possibility that we might die. Um, also, uh, we won't lose our house tomorrow if this customer tells us no. Um, the children will still have milk to drink in the morning if this customer tells us no. And so really what happens is nothing. Nothing happens. Customer tells us no. Nothing happens. Go on to the next one. No, thank you. I don't need this now. I'm good. But thanks for asking. You won't die from that. That's a nice thing. Plus, now they know that you can do this thing for them. Um, so that's first, is understanding the role that fear plays. And, you know, and if, you, if you add up, if you add up all the phone calls not made and all the products and services not offered and all the business not asked for and all the referrals not requested because of fear, uh, the total in the world economy will be in the trillions of dollars because of that. So that's how big this problem is. You know, I tried to look it up once and I said, what is the cost of fear in, in sales or on our economy? And I Googled it because that's where you go um, when, you need to, when you need an answer or something like that. And I didn't find it. They didn't have it, right? Because who studies this? It's too big. But I did find two things. Uh, one, the cost of fantasy football on the economy. And that's $6 billion. $6 billion with a B, annually. Then a couple lines below that was uh, the cost of um, depression and anxiety. So now we're getting closer on uh, our economy. And the cost of that was $250 billion with a B, annually relatively small and probably a little smaller than that actually is, but okay. Um, and then the cost of fear, I think, would dwarf both of those numbers exponentially, right? It would make them infinitesimal. So, so the first thing is being aware. The second thing is how do we make this shift in our minds from the default fearful position, which is um, pessimism, meekness, um, cynicism, 
and fear to the opposite desired mindset, which is optimism, confidence, gratitude, um, boldness. And the first section of the book is about that, making that shift. Right. And, and where do we start with that, right? I mean, because there must be a lot of people thinking, I mean, what was interesting to me was just the idea that we could actually learn this, like, we can learn to be optimistic. I mean, I, just, you know, I always had an assumption where you have optimistic people in the world and you have pessimistic people. So, um, Martin Seligman is uh, widely acknowledged, and I write about him in the book, is widely acknowledged as the uh, founder, the father of positive psychology. And this book here, Learned Optimism, is his seminal work. Uh, and Seligman says, just as the title of the book says, literally, uh, we can simply learn to be optimistic. And we can decide to be optimistic. We have a choice. It's up to us, which is pretty cool if you think about it, right? So who do you think outsells who? The optimistic salesperson or the pessimistic salesperson? Who would you rather buy from? Would you rather buy from the confident salesperson or the meek salesperson? The positive salesperson or the negative salesperson? Who does better? The happier salesperson or the unhappy salesperson? Positive one will always outsell the one on the other side. So uh, first, you simply decide that you want to deal with this. Second, uh, the way to make these shifts is to talk to your happy customers. That's the key to the whole thing. Because happy customers don't call us, right? Who calls, Richard? When do customers call? Not when they're happy. When do they call? When they're pissed off. Something's wrong. They're unhappy. You screwed it up. There's a problem, right? That's when they pick up the phone. If it's good, they don't need to call you. They're good. Why would I waste my time to call you? You're doing fine. I have other problems I have to go deal with, right? I have other suppliers. I got to deal with them. I got to call them. You're good. It's like when we go to the restaurant and they haven't brought us our drink in a while, the waiter or waitress. We call the manager over and we complain. But if the, man if the waiter or waitress is doing well, we do not call the manager over to compliment, right? We uh, complain proactively, but we don't compliment as customers proactively. So um, we have to call happy customers and we have to talk to them and we have to ask them this question. What do you like best about working with us? What are some of your favorite things? And when you ask them, an amazing thing happens, they tell you. They tell you what they like. And when they tell you what they like, it's the truth. I like that you're always there for me. You actually pick up the phone. You return my calls. You save me time. You make me look good to my customers. Uh, you help me sleep at night. You bring me peace of mind. And then you dig into these things. These are all threads now. And you take a thread and you start pulling, right? You pull the thread. You dig into it. And you discuss why they like working with you rather than what's wrong and what the problems are. And when we know, when we marinate, what I tell my clients is we need to marinate your staff in this positivity. We need to marinate salespeople, customer service people, especially customer service people. They're only hearing from customers when they need to be serviced when something's wrong, right? Tech support, only when it's broken, fix it. Um, so when we show people how good they are, which they don't hear on a daily basis, they only hear from the ones who have problems. Uh, they say, oh my God, my customers actually like me. Um, you mean they're not mad at me? 
Because what happens is we spend 100% of our time dealing with the 10% of the customers who are unhappy. They're the ones who call. 100% of our time on 10% of the customers who are unhappy. But the other 90% who are happy, they're quiet. They're not calling. They're good. We got to talk to them. And when we talk to them, uh, they will tell us what they're happy about. And our brain does a flip in our heads. And it becomes uh, aware of what we do well. And then we start to behave accordingly. Those are the two things. Know how good you are and then behave accordingly. So the way to know how good you are is talk to customers. The way to behave accordingly is boldly communicate with customers and prospects. Right. And that's slightly at odds, interestingly, because a lot of times you hear about people who, who uh, advocate this positive thinking and they'll say, give yourself a mantra and give yourself an affirmation. Interestingly, you're saying, have the customers tell you you're good, not, not yourself, right? Let's yeah, have self-talk. It's hard to... Um, sit down at your desk with a piece of paper and a pencil and write down why you're good. In fact, it's kind of weird to do that. Um, but lots of people advocate that, right? You know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But many people in, in my former chosen profession, right? Many psychologists will tell you, to, you know, here's a workbook, write down why you're awesome. I think that's weird. I, think, I also think it's hard to do. And most importantly, I don't think lasting change can come from that. I don't think lasting change can come from that. I think that uh, behavior follows thinking, right? I think this is like a rule, a rule of, of changing behavior. If you want to change adult behavior, you have to change how adults think first. And the way to change how we think, the easiest, because I'm looking for the easiest way. I'm not looking for, the, for, for all the ways. I'm looking for the, for the way that will work uh, most immediately and best. And so the easiest way and the fastest way is to have paying customers tell you what they love about you. Number one, we can't resist it. We can't say it's not true, right? It's not BS. They're not lying. They're paying us. We're not paying them. They're paying us and they're saying these things, right? Number two, um, if the boss tells you you're great, you're going to be like, yeah, but what does he want me to do now and not pay me anymore for it, right? If I, the consultant, or you, Richard, tells them they're great, they'll be like, you're just a consultant, buddy. Go ahead. Go back to, you know, for me, Chicago, for you, where you live. Where do you live? Where are you In London. based? In London. In London proper? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, but if the paying customer tells them they're great, well, you can't resist that, right? It's the truth. So number one, you can't resist it. Number two, there's a lot of them, right? We only have one brain. We can only write down what's great about ourselves so, so much, so many times. Uh, but there's a lot of customers, and you can ask all the happy ones, and you can get all these wonderful testimonials about what's good about working with you, and you can use them internally on your own brain and the brains of your colleagues. And then you can use them externally on the brains of prospects. And you say to them, this is, this is one of the behaving accordingly things. This is one of the sales actions that I teach people. Um, communicate those testimonials. We have a customer similar to you. Here's what they have to say about working with us. Paste the testimonial. Uh, working with Richard is uh, the best thing that's ever happened to me. He's doubled the size of my business. Um, and then you say, I'd like to help you this way, Mr. Prospect. Now, when do you want to talk about that, Tuesday or Thursday? So you communicate them externally. Yeah. And, and, but, and when I read that in the book, I'm like, man, that's going to take balls to do that. Because I'm in the same place attempting to ap apply some of your, your stuff. Wait, well, what's going what's gonna to take courage? What does? 
there's something about just emailing someone and saying, hey, this is how awesome somebody else thinks that I am. It's like, there's something in my brain that says that's, that's cheesy or that's uh, too forward or something comes up, right? Mm. You, you feel too modest to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so a couple of interesting things. Thanks for saying that, right? Because that's, that's a good, honest reaction that a lot of your viewers and listeners probably have. Um, first, uh, there's very little space for that kind of modesty in revenue growth, right? In sales and marketing. You can't be modest and grow aggressively at the same time. They're, they're conflicting, um, I don't know, uh, uh, they're, 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 they're opposite directions is what they are, right? Modesty takes you away from customers and prospects, uh, whereas we need to move towards them. So, but I understand it because we're all raised modestly, right? Mom never says, hey son, brag a lot, right? Make sure you brag about yourself every day. So I get it. Um, I mean, I was raised the same way. Uh, and, and even in our culture, when we see braggards, let's say Trump, for brag. example, right? Yeah, and we don't think positively about them, do we? Mm. Right? It's not very... Um, braggards aren't admired, are they? In general, unless, and I can't work this out, but then you have exceptions like Muhammad Ali, and we kind of love the fact he's such a braggart. So, Interesting. Uh, the president of America likes to tell people what's wonderful about him. You know, there's another example. Uh, so the key with that, with what you said about, boy, that takes you know some courage, is you're not saying you're wonderful. You're not bragging about yourself. The customer is saying you're wonderful. All you're doing is saying, look, I've got, you're just matchmaking. I've got somebody similar to you. And they said that working with me saves them 30% of their time compared to another supplier in this category. Now I'd like to help you this way. When do you want to talk about that? Tuesday or Thursday? So you're not being braggadocious. You're being helpful, really. If somebody emailed me and said they've got that they've put the thought into, even if you emailed me cold, you know, a really cold email, and you put the thought into thinking through what I do and thinking through another customer of yours and connecting us and saying, hey, this dude's similar to you. I've helped him in these ways, in his words. Here's what he said. Now I'd like to do the same for you. I'm gonna be like, wow. This guy's different, right? You're not bragging. You're just kind of communicating facts to me. If you came to me and said, dude, I'm going to save you 30% of your time, Alex, because that's what I do, I'm going to think you're creepy, right? How do you know what my time is like, right? How do you know how much, what, what, what do I do in a day, Richard? Tell me about my day since we know each other so well. But you're not doing that. You're saying somebody like you has said that I've saved him, right, to my amazement, 30% of his time. And I'm gonna be like, wow, I want that too. Do you see the difference? Yeah, it's like you're, you're serving them by providing some information to them that they may, may be able to- A nugget, a morsel of, of, of a quotation, that's it. Right. So that's number one. So go out and ask other people why they think you're awesome. I think your line is, you know, what's your favorite thing about working with me? That's your key mm. hook, isn't it? Yeah, and I've actually done, so that part of it I've done and had some success. So people will say, yeah, I'll give you 10 minutes and I'll say with that. In the book. Can you see that? Yes. Richard? Yes. So for right, those right. listening, he's uh, uh, showing the same yeah. book. So in the book, 
there are entire scripts of of how to have these these calls that we're talking about here. And in fact, here is an entire um, phone call that uh, that that's an actual testimonial call that I did with a with a client's customer that's transcribed. So there's scripts and questions and approaches. So number one, you have the conversation. Number two, you listen to it and you read it and you buy it. Buying it means not paying for it, but accepting it. Um, you accept it both with your brain, which is logically, but you also accept it with your heart, which is emotionally, <clears throat> because logic makes us think, but emotion, in fact, makes us act, makes us behave. And what you'll find is your customers speak more positively about you than you speak about yourself. Yeah. That your customers sell you better than you sell yourself. And in fact, if I listen to you talk about you and I listen to your customers talk about you, I will believe that your customers like you better than you like yourself. So that can't be <laughs> because they're not the ones making money off of your work. Well, maybe they are as, as, in terms of value, but they're not the ones being paid for your work. So I need you to talk about yourself and think about yourself a little bit more like your customers do, which much more positive and emotionally generally, because they talk about the value. They don't talk about the stuff, right? So number two, really accept it. <clears throat> and number three, for God's sake, behave accordingly. Behave as though you do good work in the world. Behave as though uh, you bring great value to customers and prospects. Uh, behave as though you have a lot to offer to people. And if you keep it from them, you're going to be doing them a disservice. Uh, you're hurting them. You're not only hurting yourself and your family, which you obviously are. You're hurting your customers and your prospects who want more of your help, who, as we sit here, are suffering through the competition right now. They're buying stuff from the competition right now that they could be buying from you. It's tragic, you know? It's awful. They would like to buy it from you. You would like to sell it to them, but none of that is possible because they don't know, because you don't tell them, because you're afraid of rejection. So stop that nonsense, look at how good you are, and go help people, for God's sake. They'll thank you with their money. Right. It's a very calm reaction to my excitement. I'm practicing one of your uh, ideas. You're very, it's, it, was, it was very British containment there, what I saw. It was very sort of measured and... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, no, that's, that's quite right. Um, <laughs> but it brings to mind this other idea in your book, that silence is money. I mean, I just use silence there. I mean, I talk about silence in sales, right? <laughs> but not in reacting to one of your, uh, your great speeches. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding with you. No, okay. So you... That was, that was me using silence. So you go out, you get these... these, these these um these great testimonials and i can i can uh, i agree with what you say in the book there where people will i was surprised by how easy it is to get those i found that very easy when you say to people hey can you can i take 10 minutes well, what did you think they were going to say I, I maybe they were too busy you know maybe there's some quiet fear in my mind that's like well they don't rate my work enough to want to get on the call with me tell me how good they are uh I, who knows but whatever i had some reticence about doing it 
and I got I got the time. And as you you rightly point out, in most cases, I'm I was pretty blown away by how positive they were about me, and to the point where it felt quite emotional. And I was like, you know, I could feel the sadness coming up. There's something in me that was so it is like a form of therapy in a sense when I was. Hmm. processing what came back because it's like some of it took something emotionally to actually process and really take it on huh hopefully positive emotion well negative emotion in a sense because it's sadness it's like oh i i don't find this easy to take on so there was some sadness but out the other side of it definitely some positive emotion what are you sad about they were telling you positive things what were you sad about i think there's something about this resistance in life to really hear that and I, and I think it actually comes back to loss of perhaps of not having heard that in my childhood or some deeper stuff around, you know, there's, there's this, um, to sort of accept the positive in the moment, I've got to, at some level, accept the absence of that in my, in my past. So you're, you're saying lots of important things. Uh, we are in fact, because I've, you know, I've, I've seen, I don't know, tens of thousands of people react to this kind of positive feedback that I obtain for my clients and their staff. Um, and also what I do when I do speeches, I do a lot of speaking. In the talk, I will uh, actually call a customer of one of the audience members cold, right? Just, I say, Does any, who, who's got a texting relationship with a good customer who's happy? And let me talk to him for 10 minutes. I say that at the beginning of the talk and half hour later, we call them. And you see people react to it. In fact, it's easier for us to uh, accept feedback on what can be improved than feedback on what we're doing well. And the reason for that is we hear the former all the time, right? People are always telling us what we can do better, but they don't tell us what we do well. And it was interesting to hear your reaction to that when your clients told you what they liked. I think if there's anything that I would like you to be sad about, it's the fact, if that's correct to say, uh, it's the fact that you hadn't gone out and gotten these for years. And, uh, but, but now you will. So let's convert the sadness into let's go because this is the great work that I do. Let's go hear more about it. And then let's go behave accordingly. Let's go help more people. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really certainly, you know, I think one of the big areas of growth for me in my, just in life in general is this ability to detect feelings, feel them, process them, use them to my advantage, right? The positive and negative. Um, the other, sorry, were you going <clears> to, <throat> the other thing I was going to say that I loved from your book was um, this idea of imperfect communication. Mm. Can you say more about that? Well, I think quite often we wait to communicate the perfect thing uh, instead of simply the thing. And uh, that um, making it perfect is dysfunctional. And it keeps us from communicating with our customers and prospects. See, the key to selling more, the action key to selling more, because we've been discussing the mindset key, the action key to selling more is to communicate more with customers and prospects. The more that people hear from us, the more they buy from us. The less they hear from us, the less they buy from us. So the book, the, 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 the meat and potatoes of the book is these communications. I think there's 10 or 12 actual communications that you can make with scripts and language and everything. And uh, one of the things I say in setting up these actions is um, don't wait until it's perfect to communicate with customers and prospects. The product or service should be 
relatively close to perfect. But the communication doesn't need to be perfect. The communication only needs to be helpful. It doesn't need to be perfect. And often we perfect it and perfect it and perfect it and we never make the communication, right? If you ever want to kill action, if you ever want to kill a communication, take it to a board meeting to discuss it. And, and you will find, you know, 12 people all with a different opinion trying to inject their opinion into your communication. Um, you'll never send it. So don't, you know, when it's, I learned this from an old business coach, when it's 80% ready, go. Now, not the product, just the communication. When it's 80% ready, send it and move on. The last 20% is dysfunctional. Yeah, and I really get, you know, and that's been really powerful over the last few days. I mean, I only read your book, you know, a few days ago, but in my, some, some of my outreach with, with prospects and with clients, I, I found myself moving much more quickly because I'm not, try, you know, am I too casual? Am I, am I offering enough value in this email? You know, all these questions that might, so it might take me, you know, 10 or 15 minutes you know, fretting over the, set, the sentence structure and actually just having your mantra in my mind, you know, imperfect communication imperfect communication gave me a kind of level of permission to to go out and communicate which uh, i hadn't experienced before you know if only you're helpful to the let's call it a newsletter or something or an offering if only it's helpful to the readers if only it's useful uh you're ahead of 95 percent, you know which is promotional and pitchy with a p um you're ahead so don't worry about sentence structure, just be helpful. If the point is to separate ourselves from the competition, that kind of does, that's one of the many things that I talk about in the book that does it. Mm. And interesting that there we talking about positive and negative emotions, that brought up a bit of negative emotion. Cause again, it was like back to childhood expectations, expectations of being perfect and, and actually to allow myself to, to think, okay, I can be imperfect. It was, was uh, also a kind of moment for me so it's uh, it's, been, it's interesting it. you know as you as you make these little points of how you felt going through things uh, which i find fascinating thank you for sharing it it's interesting to me that you know much of what we learn in childhood is the opposite of what's required to be successful in business or in sales uh you know goes against it and frankly must be overcome to be successful. So it's, in, it's an interesting, you know, connection you're making for me as you share that. Yeah, I think so. Because, and I, th I think that's why I told, what I'm loving about this book is it, it's, so I've spent a lot of my time in terms of the reading I've done around psychology and sort of understanding the human condition has been a lot about actually what you moved away from and thinking about, you know, where I'm hurt and where I need to heal and what I need to do more work on and da 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 da. And it has been very powerful. But I think it's like that's only one side of this pick one side of the coin or, you know, that's only half the picture here. And actually, there's an awful lot we can do, which doesn't require going back into the deepest recesses. And it's just about being in action and taking these practical steps, which um, can have a huge impact. And, and for me, somehow marries with some of that earlier work I've done. So it's, uh, it, it's great to, to be exposing myself to both. Well, just to be clear, it's not my goal to take you back into your deepest recesses, as you said. Right. Um, the goal is, is quite simple and, and hopefully fast. I want to show you how good you are in the words of your customers and then ask you to behave accordingly, which is to say, um, tell people what else you can sell them. Ask for referrals. Go to the phone instead of email. 
um, take these testimonials and communicate them. Uh, send some handwritten notes. Um, ask people what else they need. What are you buying elsewhere that I could help you with? Right, the reverse did you know question. Um, everything from the mindset shift to the behaviors should be fast, should be um, straightforward, uh, should take a very little amount of time uh, because those things are the cause of resistance and I needed to strip away all resistance because I'm working with sales teams, you know, and sales teams are the hardest group to make change with in an organization. Uh, so, so uh, again, just to underline, everything should be uh, uh, fast and easy and straightforward to make the mindset shift and then to uh, take the action. Yeah. Although and, I appreciate it's causing some therapy, some self therapy for you as well. Yeah, maybe you're, yeah, of course, that's never your attention. I, all I'm doing is I'm just sharing the impact it's had, right? I it's appreciate had, that. It, it, it sort of had me out of some of my habits. It's had me look at some of my habits and, and, and go to places maybe I didn't expect to go to, really, yourselves. But, but mm. you know, it, for me, it's touched into to childhood stuff. And you know, who knows whether it does for others. But I found that, um, you know, I found that interesting. And then the other thing that you, I think, you know, what I love about your, this idea about being proactive, you know, that we, and I, and I totally related to that in the, in the book is I think we find it easy to get to being reactive. We find it easy sure. to be busy and, and, and deal with all the incoming and we kind of get addicted to our email inbox and, and that, and our life can just, you know, whole week can get swept away with that. And I think the really powerful point in your book is, you know, be proactive, have your plan for the week, you know, be, think and plan about who you're going to, who you're going to make those calls to. Yeah. We tend to live our lives reactively as salespeople and uh, planable growth, you know, predictable growth is a proactive pursuit. If we're simply reacting to emails and whatever's incoming, uh, one, we tend to be simply only dealing with unhappy customers right, who have a problem or have a very urgent need, as we've already discussed. And two, we're just a bit, a bit, a pinball bouncing around from one incoming inquiry to the next. And if the right inquiries come in, we might grow. But it's not up to us. It's not in our control. If the wrong inquiries come in, we won't grow. And it's not, again, we have no control. That's why many companies get to a certain size and then they flatten out. They stay flat because they're totally reactive, right? Their customer-facing staff is totally reactive. So, uh, as you said, the key to predictable growth is to inject some proactive action into our otherwise reactive days. That's what these things are. Make a call. Ask a did-you-know question. Ask a reverse did-you-know question. Ask for a referral. And so you can be on the very same incoming phone calls that come in every day, all day, but infuse, inject, wedge in some proactive action that will tell them what else they can buy from you, for example, or ask them what else they need. What are you having trouble sourcing? Many of my clients get a list of 24 things, right? Or 10 or 18. And they said, wow, well, which ones do you want to start with? And they start with the first three and then they get the next five. It's a pretty good way to live. See, uh, we're dealing with humans and uh, we think they don't want us to call. We think everybody's calling. We think that um, everybody's there and everybody's present. And the truth is, nobody calls. Um, everybody's afraid. And when we call, we're the only ones, right? We're one of the only ones. I had a client say to me that there's a new president at a supplier of his. This is, big, uh, this is a CEO of a 
$150 million company. And he said, a new supplier started on, uh, a new CEO started on my supplier and he called me on my cell phone. I said, how did that go? He said, it was great. We had an awesome conversation. And I quote, it was the first time anybody's ever called me on that damn thing. That's what he said. It's the first time. So nobody's calling. So be proactive, be present. We're dealing with humans. All they want is for us to be there. They want to know that they won't be let down by us. They want to know that um, we won't screw them up with their customers. Just as we're afraid, they're also afraid. They're just afraid about different things. They're afraid that uh, we're gonna make them look bad to their customers. We're gonna screw them up. They're afraid that they'll be in trouble with their boss. They're afraid our deathly fear is we're gonna um, be rejected and lose the customer. Their deathly fear is of being fired. They're also afraid. It's like when you're a kid and you're, you know, you're working up the courage to ask out somebody you wanna ask out on a date. And you start to understand, you know, you, well, you're really scared. The reason that you're, you're not doing it is because you're terrified, like most things in life. If you find yourself avoiding something, it's almost always because you're scared. Um, and so you, somebody tells you miraculously, if you're lucky, that she's also afraid or he's also afraid. The other person is just as afraid as you are. And so know for yourself as you're selling that the other person is also afraid. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. You, you never look at it that way. We, we, I suppose we're just so sort of myopic on our own fears, aren't we? We never, we never take the time to look at um, their side because fear is um, a very um, internal, I don't know, kind of consuming, uh, selfish um, process. You know, self-centered is probably the best phrase of the few that I've used for it. And um, because we're consumed with our fear, we never become aware that everybody around us is also afraid, right? And the significant other or the potential significant other is just as afraid of perhaps not being asked or being asked or going out and asking themselves, you know, and the customer's just as afraid of their own thing. And, and so they also put on their pants one leg at a time. You know, they deal with the same things we deal with, just slightly different content in those fears, that's all. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's powerful. And the other, well, this correlates to the other point that you make, which I like, is about uh, we control what you could control, right? So just focus on what, we, what you could control and, and stick with that. Uh, and that, that's also helped me in terms of, I, I, I can't control whether a buyer is going to buy or how many sales I'm going to make this month or whatever else it is, but I can control how many times I get on the phone today. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why we all, if you follow a sports team and you read about sports, you always hear athletes say, because they're trained this way properly, they're trained to, uh, I only worry about what I can control. You know, it's like the, ath the, the athletic cliche in, in any country, in, in you know, any sport. I, I only worry about what I can control. I can't control if the coach is gonna play me or if I'm gonna ride the bench. I can't control if I'm gonna start or not. I can't control if I'm gonna be traded. Um, but I can control my mechanics and my swing, right? 
or on my kick or on my pass. And I want you to control the things you can control. So like you said, I can pick up the phone and I can control that, but I can't control whether the other person is going to pick up the phone. I can control asking for a referral, but I can't control getting one. So keep account of your behaviors that you can control, track those, and then good things will happen. They always do. Sorry, my little guy is in here and um, was causing a little bit of a, of a ruckus. So <laughs> I'm muting and talking with him as we talk. Okay, no worries. Um, what, so, what do you, so what do you struggle with, Alex? Are there still areas of your salesmanship or, or sort of life in general where, if you were going to be honest, you, you're still working on? It's an interesting question, not one that I've put a lot of thought into. Um, I'll tell you that, I'll tell you about my most recent great struggle, which I've actually resolved, thankfully. Uh, and then I'm sorry, I'm going to have to wrap up because if I don't get to this proposal, then my prospect won't get it and I have to do it. Um, I hate doing um, certain things that relate to good selling. I hate keeping track of, of lists and, and communications, but good selling requires it. Uh, I hate um, writing down the dates and the actions and the results, even though good selling requires it. Even though I teach my clients sales teams to do it and require that they do it with accountability and recognition and building all kinds of systems. So what I did was I hired an assistant uh, who works for me for 15 hours a week, who manages essentially that record keeping of the sales function. And um, it has allowed me, uh, I think more than anything, to stop thinking about it. And because I've been, I've been, I knew I had to do it, but I wasn't doing it. And when I was doing it, I hated it. And then when I was hating it, and it was taking away time from other things that I really wanted to be doing, that I was better at, that I'm more suited to do, so if you can find a way to unload those things which, which bring you um, negativity and have somebody good to do them. I mean, there's people that are much better at those things. There's people built for that, and then there's people built for the things that you're good at. So let the people who are good at the things you hate do the things you hate, and then all kinds of goodness happens. So I think that was my last great challenge, and I hired her, um, and, and we've, you know, she didn't instantly start to do these things. We had to go through a process and she's been with me for about a year now. Um, and it, you know, as my business has, has really gone like that, that's really been a big part of it, you know, because we've, I've automated this process that wasn't happening and was causing me all kinds of negativity. Um, and now it is happening and I'm free to do the stuff that I'm good at. Uh, so that was, that's been a big deal. But I, honestly, I had to reach for that to answer your question. I had to reach for it. Um, and if I had time to sit here and think for a few minutes, I could probably come up with some more for you. No, that's, that, that, that's great. And that's a great lesson for people. And um, I'm sure there are many people listening to this. And, I, and I'm sure if I spent a bit of time thinking about, you know, there, there must be things on my to-do list I hate. And that with a bit of effort, I could work out a way in which somebody else could do that. 
which I can just give keeping, to somebody. keeping the damn list. You know, she keeps a good list for me. I have a terrible time keeping an updated list. There you go. And um, I think that's a fantastic piece of piece of advice. Okay. Well, I know you're you're pressed. You need to go serve a customer or a prospect. So uh, thank you so much for your time. I feel it's like great talking to you. I feel like that's been a fantastic distillation of of your latest book. I really do. Thank you. Um, having read it, you know, I think I thank think, you. I think that's awesome. And I have to um, tell you, I've done a lot of podcasts, um, and and really recently, I've done a lot of podcasts and promotion of this book. I don't know, maybe a dozen or a dozen and a half. Uh, and this was quite good. Uh, your <laughs> Your style of, um, you know, as you said, I keep it open at the beginning. Um, I think it was probably before the podcast actually started when you and I were getting ready mm. to start the conversation. You said, I just, I just have a chat, you know, um, is really, really good and, and different and better than most. Okay. I'm going to put, I'm going to write that down and start sending it to my next. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. See, there you go. I'm resisting your compliment by turning it to a joke. No, you're not. You're accepting it. I'm going to process that. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. And um, yeah, again, wonderful to speak. Uh, and for, for people who want to get more of uh, Alex Goldfame, where's the best place to, to, to get more of your stuff? Well, you can go to my website, goldfame.com, which is here on the book right there. For those I listening, like he's, he's putting it out. So goldfame.com. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you go to Amazon, buy yourself the book or wherever you buy books. I think they're at the airports. You can, you can go to bookstores. Um, and uh, goldfain.com has stuff about me. Uh, and so the two things that I do really is I speak uh, to audiences uh, who can benefit from this kind of thing. I do a lot of that. And um, I uh, consult. So I implement this for the companies of my clients. Brilliant. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Richard. I appreciate you having me. I'm grateful for your morning. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by first human for more on first humans human focused coaching and leadership programs head to firsthuman.com <laughs>